friends, it is good to be here. And by here, I mean here in phase three of our four phases of planning a kick-ass talk. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about and the phases thing is way over your head, just skip back about two podcasts from this one. It starts with the goldfish problem. That's part one. Part two is mapping the journey. And here we are in part three, the SFD. And for those of you who are listening to the last one, you might be thinking, what is an SFD? I'm so very glad you asked. It's actually a term I am absolutely shamelessly borrowing from Anne Lamott, who's one of my favorite humans. An SFD is a shitty first draft. (laughs) It's a shitty first draft. And the reason phase three is all about this flawed, imperfect first draft is because it helps you overcome one of the great killers of goodness in speech giving, in communicating in general. And one of the great killers of goodness <laughs> in speech giving is perfectionism. I mean, I have a whole podcast just on this topic, but listen to what Anne Lamott says. She's so brilliant. Quote, perfectionism is the voice of the oppressor, the enemy of the people. It will keep you cramped and insane your whole life, and it is the main obstacle between you and a shitty first draft. Perfectionism is a mean, frozen form of idealism, while messes are the artist's true friend. What people somehow, inadvertently, I'm sure, forgot to mention when we were kids was that we need to make messes in order to find out who we are and why we are here, and by extension, what we're supposed to be writing, end quote. Substitute writing for communicating or giving a talk, and it's pretty right on. What I found is that when we typically, when people sit down to create a talk or create slides for a talk... What they do is just have one draft. It's the draft. And what goes into that the draft is a lot of pressure, tension, stress, worry, anxiety, perfectionism. And what it does is it kills ideas before they're even on the page. And what I found as a coach is that if we can get comfortable with there being multiple drafts, the first one being the shittiest of the bunch, It frees us up to be playful and open-minded and creative. It frees us up to think way outside the box, which is what most audiences need, right? If we're trying to play in the interest span, thank you, Robert McKee, if we're trying to play in the interest span, we have to think outside of the box. We have to go about things differently. And right now, that differently means doing a shitty first. Okay, so what what is a shitty first draft? Good question. If you're presenting using slides, a shitty first draft is a naked, hideous, altricial slide deck. If you want to know what the word altricial means, it's my new favorite. It's actually not a new favorite word. It's an old favorite word, but I looked it up one time. I think my friend Naomi used it, and I had to look it up in the dictionary. Anyway, Google altricial pigeon, and you will see a naked, featherless pigeon. (laughs) And ever since I saw that image, I use that word really actively to describe something that is unadorned, plucked at its barest essence. (laughs) So shitty first draft in terms of slides, they're altricial slides. They are de-feathered. They are basic. They are naked. And in these slides, we are just putting those acts, act one, act two, act three, into their proper arrangement, flow, into this ugly altricial slide deck. 
right? We are not worrying about font size. We're not worrying about images. We're not worrying about anything. Think of it if you want to as like placeholder slides. And for each one of those slides that you come up with, let's say slide one is a quote, slide two is a chart, slide three is a this, whatever, as you go down the line, each slide gets no more than three ideas or three points. No more. Because under pressure, your brain can really only (laughs) recall a couple of things. And when I say points per slide... My ideal perfect scenario is that you're putting all the notes, all the detail in the notes section of that deck. It's why God invented it. If you feel like you want to put them into bullets once you've done a lot of thinking about it and and make the bullets beautiful on the slide, that's fine, but that's not where we are right now. All the thinking and wordsmithing and all that stuff should be in the notes section of your PowerPoint. Don't worry, I'm going to tell you what, what to do about not presenting with slides, but right now we're just talking about slides. So three points per slide. If you're looking at your slide and you're like, ugh, slide three has actually seven points. That means you need more than one slide to make those seven points. Group them. There is nothing wrong with having a lot of slides unless they're boring. People always ask me, what's the ideal number of slides? The number of slides is completely irrelevant. It's how interesting is it? If it's really compelling, I mean, I saw this one guy slay his TEDx talk and he had probably 200 slides, but he was clicking quick through some of them and lingering on others. Anybody that says, oh, you're supposed to have an average of two and a half minutes per slide, that is garbage. That is totally garbage. How you spend time in a slide is up to you. Forget all these weird rules we inherit. Because ultimately, here's what I want you to remember about the purpose of slides. The purpose of slides, I believe, is twofold. Number one, they establish mood. They help drive home whatever emotion you're playing with. If you're playing with something atmospheric and kind of sketchy, the images can support you with that. And when you layer the words on the images, it just drives the point home further. So slides establish mood. But the second thing they do is they support your memory. They support your poor, busted brain. When I give a presentation, I try and have no fewer than two ideas or points on a slide because even my brain struggles with three. So that's really the way you want to think about your slides. They're there as a cheerleader and as a mood setter and as a brain booster. They are not there for you to read them, period. I'm going to say that again. Slides are not for reading, unless you have a quote that you want to read verbatim to the audience. That is the only exception. That is the only exception. One of the worst things I see people do, this is a side rant, sorry, I do it sometimes. One of the worst things I see people do is they will put this magnificent quote up on the screen and then they'll talk over it. And the audience is like, do I listen? Do I read the quote? Do I listen? Do I read the quote? And what ends up happening is they do neither. So if you're going to bother to put quotes on a slide, stop, read it to the audience, let them absorb it, let them feel it. Okay. But what if you're not using slides? What if you're just doing a spoken situation? Then your shitty first draft should look like bullets. It should look like an outline. The reason I say that is because I personally believe as a coach, this is one woman's opinion, but it is my own and is a very strong opinion, that writing a script in prose as a shitty first draft is a dangerous liaison. 
very, 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 very dangerous because you know what happens? You fall in love with the pros. And then you know what happens after that? You sit down to try and quote unquote memorize your talk. And now you've got an 18 minute monologue to memorize verbatim. Good luck. It doesn't work. It's really freaking hard. Some people do it and they nail it and they crush it and I'm in awe of them. But the only time I have ever seen an honest to God, bona fide train wreck on stage was when people tried to memorize their speech and something happened that triggered them and it was gone. And the speaker was standing there on stage, total silence. And the only person suffering more than the speaker in that moment is the audience. In fact, I've seen it happen three times in person, many more times on the interwebs, or I've heard of other people seeing it. I've only seen it three times in person. Obviously, these people were not working with me because I would not allow such a thing. But you know what the audience does when you forget your lines and you just go completely brain dead on stage? You know what they do? They clap for you. They shout encouragement for you. Audiences are so generous, generally speaking. They're only not generous when we're boring them to tears. Otherwise, audiences are just gold. I just, I'm telling you, it's miraculous. Anyway, my point is, I don't want you to experience that. Memorizing sound bites, great. Go for it. Here and there, a well-placed soundbite that's so perfectly constructed, yes, memorize that one soundbite or maybe give yourself one soundbite to memorize per point, something like that. Otherwise, do not do a shitty first draft of prose because you'll fall in love with your prose and you won't be able to practice without notes. Enough said. So anyway, (laughs) bullets, 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 outline, outline, basic, basic, basic. In both of the cases for remarks, spoken remarks and slides, you want it to map to your acts that you planned out. You want it to map to that emotional journey, to the stories and the facts and things like that. In fact, in the newsletter this week, if you're not signed up for my newsletter, you're missing out, man. I'm sending all my notes and and links to resources that I mentioned. It's really, really good. Bronwyncommunications.com. Sign up. I love you. Anyway, I'm going to show you my notes for how I planned this podcast using this exact process so that you can see what my crazy version looks like because I'm not using PowerPoint. These are spoken remarks. So this will be an example of what spoken remarks look like in a shitty first draft format. Okay. (sighs) Okay. One last thing I want to say about the shitty first draft before we move into the next movement within this larger phase three. One thing to consider, some people, not everybody, but some people... Their best thinking in a shitty first draft comes from giving themselves very little time to come up with it. It's weird. It's counterintuitive. But people that I work with that are hummingbirds, meaning they work in short bursts and they don't like a lot of unstructured thinking time, it makes them waste time. Hummingbirds do really well when you're like, okay, I've got 20 minutes to come up with this shitty first draft. Amazing stuff can come up with come out of a person that's a hummingbird <laughs> in 20 minutes. So if you're a hummingbird and you work in short bursts, try that. If you're an eagle, on the other hand, and you have to dive deep and have lots of unstructured time to get your best ideas, then give yourself as much time as you need. And do you love the eagle hummingbird thing? When I discovered that personality distinction, I came up with it with my writing partner, Linda Sievertson. Love you, Linda. It just, it's so helpful because some of us do really, really well with an abundance of unstructured time and others of us do not. We piss away that time. More on this later when we, when we get into time bending and time debt, which is 
a totally different topic for a very different day. But anyway, that's one thing I wanted to leave you with when you're coming up with your shitty first draft. Okay, you've got your SFD. Now, take that ugly SFD, whether it's bullets in an outline or a really altricial, naked, hideous set of slides, take them in front of a mirror. Put them down where you can only glance at them. There should be no reading or reliance, just glanceable, glanceable, and deliver that shitty first draft in front of a mirror. Now, doing mirror work feels incredibly dorky. I mean, listen, it is what it is. You're going to feel like a total dork. You're going to be embarrassed and you're going to hate the sound of your own voice. You're going to like look at the zit you have on your forehead and it's a mess. Just bear with me though. Do the mirror work. What the mirror work does is it shows you what this talk is like as you deliver it vocally. There is literally an order of magnitude difference in practicing a talk mentally in the silence of your own brain versus delivering a talk out loud. It's night and day. Delivering a talk mentally is only a little useful. It's only useful once you've gone through all the steps and everything's, you've got your perfect final draft, then it's not a bad idea to to do it mentally once you've done it verbally like 10 times. It's fine. At this stage, no, 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 no. Every practice needs to be vocal and ideally in front of a mirror. What this does is it shows you very quickly, very, very efficiently how your flow is. Is the sequencing right? Are the jokes working? Are the stories working? Are there details that you're missing? You're like, ugh, God, I'm kind of mushing out on this story. I need to I need to go back and remember what that story actually is. This is powerful. In, in theater, they call it getting off book, which means you're no longer relying on your script. You're able to just do it without. What we want to do is rehearse off book from the get-go, from the get-go. And as you're doing this mirror work, as you're practicing your delivery in the mirror, you're naturally going to come up with ideas. Ooh, that sounded really good. I need to write that sound bite down. Do it in the margins. Make up your notes. Mock it up. Take as much time as you need. Maybe it's a 10-minute talk, but the mirror work for the first run-through takes 30 minutes because you're stopping and you're making notes and you're moving things. That is so good. That is exactly right. And if you're having a hard time remembering all three points on your given slide or your bullet or whatever, it just means you need another slide or it means you need another section. Just remember that. So you do your shitty first draft dry run the first time around. You make all your notes. You take as much time as you want. The second time you do your mirror work, ideally in the same session if you've got the time. Now you want to set a timer. Are you in the ballpark of the allotted time you have been given? Are you? I see so often when people don't do the shitty first draft approach and they just have like the draft, they will have created a 45-minute talk and they'll come into a session with me and I'll say, nice to meet you. Let's do this. And they do the talk and I say, great talk. How long is it supposed to be? And they'll say 20 minutes. And I'll say, well, that was a 45-minute talk you just gave. And they look stricken. This happens all the time when I get brought into the process too late. It's just terrible. Anyway... Using a timer is powerful. It also helps you memorize, and when I say memorize, I mean like muscle memory. How the talk feels at minute five, at minute 10, at minute 15, it gets it stitched into your body, into your soul, and it starts to become a part of you. The benefit of doing it this way is that when you have these three acts, when you have this dead, simple, brain-friendly way of constructing the talk, 
When you do your final rounds of practice, it's already knit into your memory, into your body memory, into your soul memory. It also comes out slightly different every time because you're not on a script. You've got your key points, you've got your sound bites, you know you want to nail, but you're not totally scripted. And what that does is the audience feels that tiny level of spontaneity. They feel that a lot of what's coming out of your mouth is flow. It's in the moment. It's electricity. It's live. Audiences love that. This is especially important if that talk that you are working on is a talk you give over and over again. Like I give the same talks over and over and over again. And I love that I have room for spontaneity and random things to pop out of my mouth. It keeps it fresh for me. And God knows, I think it keeps it fresh for the audience too. Okay. So we've done the shitty first draft. We've done the embarrassing mirror work. Now we get to the PFGD. What does PFGD stand for? Pretty fucking good draft. Now, now that you've got the flow is correct. The stories are solid. The jokes work. You're feeling it. You're feeling excited. You're like, this is going to work. I feel this. Now you go back and you beautify. If you're using slides, now you go back and you worry about all of the important things like font size, continuity, beauty, find gorgeous images to drop in. Parenthetically, y'all, the absolute greatest resource for stock images online is unsplash.com. They're amazing. They're gorgeous. They're free. <laughs> and you, like the, the way you reference and, and give credit to the artists is completely open. You can choose to at them and, and credit them that. I mean, it's amazing. It's the most flexible site I've ever used. And the imagery is just gorgeous. So unsplash.com, that will be in the newsletter. So don't freak out if you're driving and you can't write it down. Okay. Now you go back and you unify and you beautify. You make it gorgeous. You make it just as perfect as it can be. And I don't mean in that like hideous perfection is perfect, but correct, accurate, pleasing to the eye. And your PFGD, once you end that phase and it's unified and it's beautified, when you practice with it, it will feel like your favorite cozy sweater that you wear during cold mornings. It is just super comfortable. It's also absolutely beautiful. And it's like this virtuous loop. You feel good about it. It looks beautiful. You do better every time you rehearse it. And at the PFGD stage, I like to practice 10 times. Do I really practice 10 exact times? No. To me, 10 times is a placeholder for saying do it over and over and over again until you know it cold. Not memorized, but you know the key points. You hit your marks. Each point is made. Sometimes after the 10th time of rehearsing, or if you don't have a lot of time, I like rehearsing just the transitions. What is the sentence that gets me from one slide to the next? There's nothing worse than seeing a presenter who clicks a slide and looks at the slide with his brow furrowed, kind of like, oh, what slide's next? Ugh, amateur hour. Practice your transitions. What is the sentence that is the perfect segue in between each thing? That's a really fun practice technique. And Oh my God, we're already at our limit, y'all. What I want you to know about this practice, phase one, dreaming a little, phase two, mapping the journey, phase three, the SFD. The marvelous thing about this process is that it's accordion. If you have 
an hour. You could do a micro version of this. Brainstorm and dream little dream for two minutes. Map the journey for five minutes. Spend the next 15 minutes brainstorming the shitty first draft and thereafter unifying and beautifying it. Or if you have three months because it's a TED Talk or something else, then the time can expand like an accordion. This process rocks. And we're not even done. We have one final phase. And that final phase, phase four, is stand and deliver. And we will pick up on that next time. Notice, y'all, notice that we have spent three podcasts talking about this talk, and we haven't even discussed the delivery. Because you know what, you guys? The delivery ultimately is like the last mile. Most of the marathon is involving intention, dreaming, mapping to an emotional journey, getting right with your audience, making sure you're honoring those needs, getting a draft together that you can work with that isn't precious, that's outside the box, and then practicing and then unifying and beautifying it. And I'm telling you, you guys, as a coach, this is why I hate, in fact, I don't even do it anymore. If the talk is already done, I I don't even work with the person because it's just too late. But if you do those steps All of the weird delivery quirks or issues you have as a presenter, 80% of those issues are resolved if the right planning is in place, if the content sings. Once that's done, the last little bit, the last little tweaks about how you deliver the talk, they are so much easier to deal with. They're nothing. Easy peasy. And we will talk about everything I know about great delivery and pace and timing and what you do with your body and how do you make eye contact and all that stuff. We're going to talk about that next time. But the work we've done so far, that's where the magic is. That's where the miracles are. That's where the big moments come from. I'll see you next time. Good luck planning your talk and shine on you crazy diamonds. (laughs) 